and welcome to the Trish and Sarah Wrestling Podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Trish. And this is our podcast. <laughs> we had to identify ourselves in case you can't tell us apart, given that our accents are so similar. <laughs> uh, Trish and I are going to be talking about wrestling. The title of this podcast is accurate. Uh, we're going to talk about news and various topics from different promotions, primarily AEW, but also New Japan and WWE, and topics from around the wrestling world, whatever we think is interesting. We hope you think it's interesting, too. Um, and we will be coming at you every other week with this podcast. So, oh, get excited. <laughs> so for tonight's show, we decided to kick off with the topic that is on everyone's mind this week, uh, the attendance and ticketing at AEW, which, according to some, they should be closing down tomorrow. But think perhaps some of this is overblown, Trish. What are your thoughts? This, the first thing I'd always say with AEW ticketing is they have always had good numbers and they have always had bad numbers. There seems to be this kind of belief that the numbers were great from the start, or even worse, you know, their numbers only really happened uh, after United Center in August 2021. Mm. And then it was fantastic until Punk got injured. And then, and even Tony Khan said that, you know, he did the, the press conference for All In. And said, you know, we, we, um, we were going along at a great rate and then Danielson got injured and Punk got injured and Cole got injured and, you know, we lost our way and we saw All In as a second chance. But that kind of negates so many of the kind of the issues that were already there, but also the strengths that were already there and the numbers that were created before anything like that happened. So here's the funny thing. So we can go through quarter by quarter and you can look at where they started. So even in 2019, you know, they, they were at an average of 6,200 for that first three months. And then going into after the pandemic, you've got an average of 6,771. And most of those tickets, most of those tickets were generated before Punk, Danielson or Cole came in the building. Yes. You know, they, were, they had a huge July. They had this huge July where they did... You know, a greater number than they did previously in Austin, a greater number than they previously did in Dallas or Garland, whichever way you... You know, they did a huge 7,000 number in Charlotte with the, the Elite versus Dark Order 10 by 10. They sold out all out on the 7th of July. It wasn't, you know, when Punk came in or anything like that. It was sold out on the day, and it's the last all out to sell out, to be fair. And I, Leah and I bought tickets for that show. Uh, I'm referring to producer Leah, obviously. And I remember being glued for the pre-sale to be like, oh, my God, we got to get these seats. Because oh. they went like that. And there was at that point, there was no hint of CM Punk coming in. There was no Daniels and There was none of this. All of it was based off of the strength of them just going back on the road. It was. And, but even then, it wasn't just that to me. Because that came the day after, and I bought a ticket for this as well, and I, I obviously I couldn't fly because of COVID restrictions still. But it was all based off that segment the night before where they ran yes. the Hangman Kenny Omega segment yes. in Miami. You know, the, the one where they first meet in the, in the ring. They, <laughs> Bangkok. <laughs> this is, the NSYNC video on that is just my favorite thing. Um, I watch that again and again and again. But... No, so they were, and then they carried that momentum. So a week and a half later, they sold 16,000 tickets for his weekend for Grand Slam. Yep. You know, we, we haven't seen attendance that big in AEW, like, since for any TV. Any TV. You know, they, they sold that on a day. It wasn't like these guys came in and all of a sudden they started selling, you know, thousands and thousands more tickets. You know, 
it, it just didn't happen. I just... It's such a frustrating revisionism because I feel like it really negates and discounts all the work that a lot of those AEW original folks did to get people invested in the product and get people invested in the wrestling and, and care about the storylines, you know? And to, to kind of hand wave that away and be like, oh, well, it's all Punk and Danielson and Cole. And like, certainly they had an impact and I'm not going to try and say that they no. didn't or downplay that totally, but you know, it was all such a general sense of tremendous excitement, like that just seemed to snowball that summer in terms of like, this is just so much fun. And I remember like there was some comment I think I saw on Twitter at one point where it was like they kept going, having shows and every single person who came out was like so insanely over. And I remember one of the tweets was like, what if we had a wrestling show and everyone was over? Because people were just so excited to see these guys and women. And like, I just think that's something that, like I said, it's hard to see that get totally discounted um, when it comes to talking about AEW's peak period. And they had so much investment in these people you know you they gave you reasons to invest you didn't think they were going to break your trust and we'll talk a lot more about trust as we go on but you had every reason to be into them characters they've been developed they had depth they interacted yes. with each other absolutely and you got to see them and we'll talk about this more as well in front of your face right so yep. july 28th dynamite probably my favorite dynamite ever the elite 10-man tag uh Everyone knows, obviously, the pizza cutter incident with Chris Jericho and Nick Gage. <laughs> I just saw a clip of that again on Twitter today because it was <laughs> someone was doing like best dynamite moments, and I was like, that was pretty damn great. Yeah, well, look at it else was on that card. So they ran FTR, uh, Proud and Powerful, Archer, Herculeo, but that's the whole thing of having somebody come in from New Japan and that surprise element and that kind of interaction element. Um, they ran six man tag with Christian and Jurassic Express. They ran a Thunder Rosa match. And then on Dark, so Dark was 17 matches, which sounds Oof. insane. But when you think about the reactions to that Elite Dark Order match, which opened that show, it didn't bother the crowd. One, nope. because it was before the show. It wasn't like they run Ring of Honor now. And we'll talk about this as well. You know, and they're running 15 matches after the card and people were exhausted and they leave probably before that card's even finished, before anybody's done a go-home promo or whatever. You know, but on that Dark, they ran... Matches featuring Darby with Sting, Chris Statlander, Eddie Kingston, John Moxley, The Acclaimed, Matt Hardy, The Lucha Brothers, Sheeta, Pac, and Best Friends. If you were into any character on that show, any character on that show, and there was plenty of them, you saw everybody. And not only did you see them, you saw them in front of your face. You saw them wrestle. You saw them promo. And it's a huge difference now, but it shows you how much value was in that original roster and from that original fan base because of that movement. And I think, to me, this is what people forget, is that grassroots movement might have well been different from the TV audience. You had TNA who could throw all the stars out there and could have, you know, they could pick up over a million viewers going head-to-head -head with Raw for a short period. But they could never get people to buy into the pay-per-view. They could never get people into the buildings. And it's because they weren't invested in the characters or they weren't invested in the product enough to kind of to do that and this is where AEW was always different I, that live fan base was built from that grassroots movement built from that new japan movement it wasn't built from hey look at all these wwe stars we have no and that live experience from 2021 to today has changed significantly and uh, you know uh, you would go to a dark dynamite rampage taping in 2021 or early 2022 and you would see 90 to 95 percent not just of your faves, but of the entire roster, 
right? And yeah. they made such an effort with the dark tapings to feature wrestlers who were local, right? Like, obviously, here in Boston, we had a lot of the uh, Beyond Wrestling people that, you know, I remember the first taping we went to, people were as excited for them in the dark tapings as they were for um, the AEW wrestlers. Like, it, it brought into that, like, great atmosphere of, like, we're here to have a really good time, we're here to party. And the crowd stayed hot throughout Rampage. Most people stuck around, you know, like there, it, it's something that I think you kind of miss a little bit today. And it's, it's, it's kind of unfortunate because now, you, you know, part of it's, it's affected my buying patterns because where I used to be like, oh, the pre-show's on sale, pre-sales on, I'm going to buy immediately. Now I'm like, I got to wait to see what the card's going to be because I don't know if I'm going to see my favorite wrestlers or the people that I care about. They might not even be there. And that's kind of, you know, I could skip it. And you can see evidence of that in the numbers. So, and this started, you know, he, he likes to point out it started in June, but you could actually see this in kind of April and May last year. So the shows in Pittsburgh, the shows in Philadelphia, where the advance, so the original on-sale, was stronger than the on-sale the previous time they were there in August and in October 2021, respectively. But the cards were not strong enough that the last two weeks was way, way less than the time previous. And therefore, they ended up doing a lesser number. So automatically, that audience is already saying, well, last time you gave us, you know, in Philadelphia, you gave us the ladder match with the Hangman Page return. You gave us the tag with Jurassic Express and Brian Danielson with against the Elite. You gave us this. This time around, you give us, you know, Dax versus... Was it Dax versus Cash? <laughs> Dash versus... Like, it was something that was just like, this is not the hey. same. You, Yeah, or like, you know, and then... You know, Pittsburgh, you give them, you know, the Rampage debut and you make this huge thing out of Britt Baker and you have the Kenny Omega title match. And then you go back and you just do like punk Dustin Rhodes and what? I'm told you know? that was five stars. If if you could just not. <laughs> I, I, I need like, the, this should be like a, a noise for me just rolling my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> wah, wah. I gotta get you like a kazoo or something. Yeah. <laughs> Trish, I roll those. Insert dodgy, no, I, I don't know from file names. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, no, but there's this thing there that where people just say, you know, like, oh, you know, they were, they, Dave Meltz has this thing where he likes to say, oh, they were smashing WWE at the start of 2022. And, and look, one, I don't think that it's not accurate. So the, yes, they beat them in January. January contained four shows. So they did the Newark show which had yep. the Danielson hangman match, which was rescued in the last two weeks. They did, I think I'm shorting them, but they did at least 1,900 tickets in the last two weeks. And this was at the height of Omicron. They yep. went to Greensboro and they did 5,500. And that was after pretty much exhausting the Carolinas for four weeks. Uh, they went to Cleveland. They were actually up on the previous visit to Cleveland. They went to Washington, D.C. and they did the dual nights where Moxley returned, where he wasn't supposed to return. He was actually supposed to come back in Greensboro, uh, but Danielson wasn't ready. So he came back in Washington. So they had like this mixture of shows and Raw was struggling and Raw was throwing everything at it, right? Raw's throwing literally like every championship match you can think of. They're doing, you know, open challenges. They're throwing Roman Reigns at it. They're advertising. They're, they're throwing tons of comps in everywhere. You know, this, these are the sort of things that AEW aren't doing. So this is where the panic to me just seems, it seems a little bit insane. Um, well, that's, that's part of it for me, right? Like, I think you can point to them going back on the road in July 21 and say that things were sort of easy 
right? And from a lot of perspective, fans were excited to go to shows. People were excited to do live events. Um, people wanted to see this promotion. They hadn't had the opportunity for a number of years. I think a lot of people fell in love with it over the pandemic and finally got a chance to go to shows. They had a lot of storylines that were paying off. They had a lot of matches they hadn't put together yet. They had you know, pairings that they hadn't come up with, right, for, for programs that they hadn't done. So in some ways, like, they had a lot of it was almost too easy, and now there's things that they could be doing to help themselves with regard to um, selling tickets that they just don't seem to be. You know, local promotion, we have talked about this, is, is just doesn't seem to happen at all. I was really excited to see MJF out doing stuff in New York this week, but it seems like it, it's more an exception to the rule than the rule, and that kind of boggles my mind. It should be everywhere. I, I, yeah. I, I just don't get it, and I don't get you have enough people in different home areas to cover each. You don't need, you know, like, Jericho's their best, probably their best talker. I'm probably their best known na mainstream name. Yes. You don't need him out every week, though. You know, if you are in the Carolinas, in North Carolina, or you're in Virginia, Hangman needs to be out. I don't care what's going on. I don't care if we're in the talk. I don't care. He needs to be out doing press. If you're in California, the Bucks, and to be fair, the Bucks were pretty good in January at doing what they could, even with being held back, doing press. You know, if you're in New York, MJF needs to be out. It needs to be, like, you're in Philadelphia. Cassidy needs to be out. It's not, and you can say, and, you know, people talk about, I've seen, you know, was an observer at the weekend, you talk about the, the drop in the value of local press. But even if you don't feel you're getting much out of it, you're raising the profile of these people, and that is just as important when you are competing with someone in WWE who makes people feel massive. Well, that was even something that came up relatively early on because I remember there was a South Carolina show that they were not doing great on with tickets and they threw Matt Hardy at every media appearance possible and he sold like an insane number of tickets for them in a relatively short period of time. Like the amount of promotion he was doing, it, it does make a difference. Like it may not be a huge difference, but if you want to talk about like late walk-ups, it seems like it's something that's you know, and again, I don't know about expenditures. Maybe it is prohibitive, but to bring somebody into town or somebody who's local to have them come and do some of these shows a day or two early, it certainly seems like an easy fix for me and, you know, sells you maybe a couple hundred tickets. That's that's a positive across the board. And it's not just that they've done it. So Columbia, South Carolina, they had the big show go and do radio. He was a local guy, right? They sold like over a thousand tickets off the back of that. Jericho went into Nashville, did a run of media run, did a huge last day sales. It's not, you know, Moxley did two days worth of promotion. You know, everyone talks about that Cincinnati number last year, and they forget that they 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 crawled for that number. They they tried every single thing they could. He did two days of media. That two was not an easy number to get. No. no, I remember last year that was a big problem as they were he, coming close to that. You know, he did two days of media. He went everywhere. He did a meet and greet on the Monday. You know, we, they sold a couple hundred tickets off that. We actually watched the hour by hour on that one. You know, and then not just that. In that one, they put on a title match. They had a world title match with John Moxley. This time we had him and Big Bill. It's, it's not the same. It's not the same. They literally put a first-time world, world title match on that show. They actually mispriced that show. I don't know if anyone really remembers this, but actually they went for the first week after Hangman won the, uh, the Battle Royal at Grand Slam. The cheapest ticket to get into that venue was $55. 50, wow. $55, which is insane. Eventually, they added some $33 tickets, and that went through. And then they comped the upper tick, the upper deck. They did. They, they comped about five or 600 of the upper deck as well. 
you know, and the first visit to Cincinnati it was actually way down from that. It was 6,800, and this, this got to 4,740. The bigger difference, though, was that people thought it was worth it to go to this show because they put that title match on there. The promotion of that title match was good. They ran an excellent Road 2 promos. Hangland cut a fantastic promo in Toronto. Uh, shit, I don't know, yeah, the medicine isn't working, but I'm still here. Yep. Yep. That sold tickets. They were selling $80 heart cam tickets literally as soon as he cut that promo. But was that match done because it was in Cincinnati or was it done because they faced NXT on the Tuesday night? And this is the big difference. So when AEW started, you needed everybody on the main show. You need to get everybody through the building. They had this ethos of advertising everything, that pretty much everybody advertising then NXT disappeared, and you don't need that main event anymore. You don't need that big main event in competition unless you're going up against some huge sports competition. Do you feel like you need that? No. So that started to pull back. Then we've had, you know, all these kind of trust issues in the last couple of years where it feels like they're not honest. It feels like they're not being open. You know, we've seen plenty of it with the punk stuff, and that's just not just the audience, you know. That's talking about the kind of the talent as well and that doesn't just go to their kind of way of promotion or their way of talking but when it does it's pretty awful see you know you put out a poster right i'm going to give you a really extreme example i could have picked out 10 of these (laughs) this is my favorite one though because it's just ridiculous um you put out a poster and you say okay these are the people you should be able to see on this show and people are paying 80 to 120 dollars and this one this is rampage right this is san francisco cow palace okay so here are the people on the poster right so we've got ftr jay cargill wardlow darby allen chris jericho mjf Britt baker powerhouse hobbs john moxley soraya Sting. This is a very WWE poster, by the way. Uh, <laughs> Brian Danielson, Samoa Joe, and the acclaimed. Right, right. Here are the cards. Right. Let me just just think about like oh, if God. you went if you went to this show, would you be satisfied paying eighty dollars for this? Okay. So the acclaimed defeat the workhorsemen. Probably <laughs> apt time to talk about the workhorsemen. I was going to say I was assured <laughs> the workhorsemen had never been on television before, so I don't know. Yeah, it's just a shame that. Uh, Daniel Garcia defeats Aaron Solo. Hook defeats <laughs> Peter Avalon. Mark Briscoe and the Lucha Brothers defeat the firm. Now, the funny thing about that one is, is the Lucha Brothers, you know, that's, uh, Penta is Mr. Hometown Guy. San Francisco 49ers uh, tight end. Uh, George Kittle yeah. wears his jersey, wears his hat. And we stuck him on dark on this show, just out of the middle of nowhere. Um, did he actually put him on the pay-per-view? <laughs> Slap the preacher. It's just like this, it's bizarre, some of the, the weird things that they do sometimes. Um, and then, so on the next bit of the card, is Sky Blue defeats Milo. Milo? Milo? Hmm. Mm. The bell's not ringing for me right now. Nope. Yikes. Uh, yeah. Brian Cage defeats Bad Dude Tito. Lance Archer defeats two, two jobbers, I think. Yep. No names. Oh, I think uh, I remember that. That was a, yeah. a handicap match. Yes, yes, okay. yes. Okay, cool. Uh, Takeshita defeats Jack Cartwheel. Big Bill defeats Julius Coleman. Willow Nightingale defeats Zoe Dubois. AR Fox defeats Ryan Nemeth. Like, so 
that's like your pre-show, right? So that's your card all the way up through until Rampage. And you haven't seen anybody other than the acclaimed so far. We've not seen anybody of interest whatsoever. $80. And then we get on to Rampage. And we have Claudio and Wheeler Yuta defeating Aussie Open, Dark Order and Top Flight. Rio defeats Emi Sakura. That's probably the best match on this card, actually. Uh, Powerhouse Hobbs defeats the Pentaco. And Dustin Rhodes and Keith Lee defeat Mogul Affiliates. Is that worth $80 to you? I mean, in retrospect, would I want to see Trench's only match? Yes, but no. <laughs> I actually forgot about that. That was Trench. <laughs> that was what's-his-name and Trench. God, so yes, but only to say I was there. That's the shirt I would have bought, too. But no, I, you have an f- amazing point. I mean, when you compare that card to the card you talked about earlier from huh. South Car- North Carolina, mm-hmm. it's like night and day. You're missing a ton of people, like... You know, I mean, and I, I appreciate that this was, I think, probably at the height of the Acclaim's popularity. Like, Yeah, yeah they're, they're the biggest things on it. So there was right. Em and Hobbs. That's the only thing people off the poster that were actually on the show. Right. And John Moxley was in the building. Well, like, I think this is one of those things where I appreciate the position that as the promotion ages, your 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 premier matchups and programs between people who haven't faced each other before start to go away, right? You, you, you lose that, you can't get it back. That level of, like, novelty, fine. That's kind of where I feel like you have to push harder on some of your programs and, and make these feuds about something to give people a little bit more meat on the bone of maybe some of these, you know, the open challenge thing, and people are complaining about this a lot as well, and I get it, but... You know, the open challenge thing just, it doesn't work. And you end up in situations where you have people like the workhorsemen getting shouted out, like, who are you? And it's not fair to them, quite honestly, I don't think. And it doesn't seem like it's, like, they're good wrestlers. I remember how excited people were when they got, like, you know, featured more. It just seems weird to me. But they haven't been getting wins on Ring of Honor, right? And it used to be at least, and, like, this is a thing I kind of find sort of fascinating about the loss of the rankings and the loss of dark and elevation. The system in terms of title shots that AEW had was built off the back of that dark and elevation. You know, you'd somebody go out there and, you know, they, I think a lot about like Orange Cassidy's three-way title run with Pac and um, Kenny for Double or Nothing 21. He was out there on dark and elevation getting a win basically twice a week, right? And you watched him move up the rankings and you were like, oh, are they going to do this program? And you thought, geez, it's the same thing with like Brian Cage when Brian Cage beat Hangman that first time, right? If you were someone who watched those shows, you got rewarded for paying attention because you saw the feuds coming before other people did. And you were like, oh, this is really like, hey, they're going to do this. This is going to be great. Like, I'm super excited about this. You know, and then that went away. And well, the rankings went away first. And then Dark and YouTube went away first. And they don't, they didn't change their philosophy of not giving the lower card guys wins. So you have an AR Fox who shows up and, as Brian Alvarez likes to say, loses something like 10 of his 11 TV matches and yet gets title shot after title shot, right? And so the logic flaws with that make sense and it's justified that people would be annoyed by it. So the answer is, well, we'll have an open challenge. And that's not really a successful solution either, you know? And I think 
that's why, like, as annoyed as people were this past weekend and as upset as Dave Meltzer was that he had to see the workhorsemen, the um, Dark Order, and uh, somebody else on the show, I was like, this is what we should be doing. This is what we should be using our extra TV time for. Like, let's build up some of these lower card teams. Let's give some of these people wins so that when we have some of these matches, it's not this kind of question of, like, oh, my God, well, it's obvious, you know, the workhorsemen are going to lose. Like... It's, it seems like sometimes the solution, the complaints about the solution are worse than the complaints about the original problem. And I don't know what the easy solution is on this. You know, It's not an easy thing to do, but it does feel to me like the structure of the way they built their programs got taken away when the rankings and dark and elevation went away, and they didn't replace it with anything. So now there's this giant hole that they've built their title programs around. Yeah, and the, you know, the, the structure of the shows is pretty important as well. So you've lost dark and elevation, and you've been paid... You know, you've been compensated for that. But is it worth it? You know, so to me, I think that Collision probably came at the wrong time. And you're not going to turn it down because you're not turning down the extra no. hours. He wanted to bring Punk no. back into the company. This was one solution to do so. They turned, you know, six house, five house shows, five house shows and added four house shows, sorry, and added two others um, in order to do the first six tapings. You're not turning that down, but you've lost that yeah you've lost that structure you've lost the opportunity you know people are 120,000 people minimum would watch dark a couple hundred thousand might watch elevation at one point it was up over a million less than 10,000 people watching of honor nobody's seeing this product nobody's no. seeing it live either because it's taped after and people don't want to stay to midnight to see you know as much as i love dalton castle they're not staying to midnight to see dalton castle they're just not it would so, be a tough sell for me, and I love Dalton Castle. Exactly, like. right? So, you know, and you have got this this impact of that structure change, and then that structure change that, you know, pulls in as well, with moving to more to more pay-per-views. So the difference is, and this is why, you know, when everyone's like, one of the things everybody's talking about, it's, you know, oh, it's Max. It's Max being champion. I, I'm so annoyed at this argument. I can't right. even, like... <laughs> so... Take me his, there. Take me there. Okay. Ugh. Yeah, so here's the thing with Max. And, and I think it's it's a structure change issue. And it's also the way that the belt has been used previously that isn't being used the same now. So you do the structure change. You move to more pay-per-views. And the title now isn't even being, you know, you know isn't always being used on pay-per-views. So we're now doing this tag thing. And let's be honest, right? They, they should have won the tag, the tag championship. I agree with you on that. So, in a way, his run has slightly been hampered. They didn't win the tag championships. That was a huge ticket-selling match, the biggest ticket-selling match in Collision history. No one would like to hear that one. But no, of course not. Come on, <laughs> Trish, not. please. Yeah. CM yeah, Punk is no. a huge draw. Even sure. if he isn't, we're going to say he is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're, we're going to comp out, you know, Windsor, Ontario, so it does an $80,000 gate, only just that draws a house show. But, you know... Um, <laughs> get myself in trouble already huge uh, trouble huge star uh but yeah so they do that that's a huge that's probably his biggest ticket in success and a guy like max is not really built as in a big ticketing guy it's just not so he, he in no. fact his metrics are very similar to cm punk's in a lot of ways so he's going to sell merch he's going to sell pay-per-views he's going to do well in ratings more with segments than he is with matches that's it that's you know not everybody figures you know no, practically nobody ticks all the boxes that's just the way no. things are. But the difference was 
was before this kind of movement towards collusion and towards a larger pay-per-view kind of calendar, what we were doing was, was well, we compensate for that. So, okay, so Max isn't going to use the title in the same way that John Moxley would use to use the title. You know, Moxley, who saved numbers at Grand Slam with Brian Danielson in Cincinnati with Adam Page in Columbus in Indianapolis and Minneapolis that summer. Page used it, you know, saved numbers in Houston and Garland, Texas twice in Atlantic City in Newark. They're all rescue numbers rescued by using the title. They used the title previously, like it was a New Japan title. So we have this big title match, we rescue that number. That's how yes. they've been using that world championship. You're not going to do that with Max, and that's fine if you're using other things. So at the start of the year, and the start of the year, actually Q1 this year, actually outdrew Q1, the, the fabled, you know, when they were beating Raw Q1 last <laughs> year. You know, so on average, Q1 this year drew 5,850 people across the three months. Thank you to our, our friend Diego for these, by the way. He is, he's a godsend. Shout out to Diego. Shout out Diego. Last year, in 2022, it did 5,111. So this fabled quarter that was like the best thing ever and they were competing, they may have been competing because Raw was so drastically down to where it should be, but they actually outdrew that this year and they actually had a similar amount of first-time markets. And the reason why is, is that you had some momentum coming off the end of last year, although the last year the quarter isn't great, and that came from the best of seven. So you can say whatever you want out of the best of seven, but about TV ratings, and actually a lot of that is completely unfair. But as a live event, it was an attraction. People came through the doors. They sold, you know, I, I checked it this earlier, they sold an additional kind of um, 30,000, let me just check. Anyway, the point is this. That, <laughs> I'll come back to that. They actually drew 29% more people to shows with the best of seven than the two shows in between, which was Seattle, even though it was a brand new show, new market, and Austin, Texas, and the four shows preceding it. It was like a kick into their live event business because people knew they were going to get to see the elite in Death Triangle, in yeah. something that would matter, in something that would be entertaining, and they knew yeah. it was going to be fantastic. And that bought into that original ethos of AEW. So they didn't need Max to defend every week. They didn't need Max on TV every week. You know, he was filming his movie for a large period of that time. Well, I also don't think it's a coincidence that, you know, that's kind of springish around the time that Orange Cassidy started defending the international title every week, right? Sure. Like, and and the, the, the only time when he wasn't was when Darby was defending the TNT title after he won it in Seattle. He did like a full month of like every week he was out there. And I think, you know, that was one of the positives. And, I, you know, I kind of think this. I don't. I'm not married to the idea that every pay-per-view has to have a main title defense on it. I kind of liked what they did with All Out. And disagree with me on it, please. Because, like, I'm just one of those people that's like, if you have these secondary titles, you make them important by making me believe they're important. Does that make sense? It does, but it would make far more sense if it was the tag team titles. That's my Well, that I don't that. disagree. The multi-man titles are just, have a been... Mess. A mess. A mess. What is going on with that? What if, is happening? Well, we if they were the tag belts, if they were the tag belts, then they'd be viewed at that level of importance, and then you'd have no issue. It'd be like Hangman and Kenny during their run, main eventing. Right. No one right. would have an issue because it's the Ring of Honor belts. It just doesn't feel like it's like it's mixing up and kind of feels like to me it feels like lessening the world title. But that's because the world title isn't treated as strong enough because we've got fifteen million belts everywhere. I agree with that. I don't like the concept of yeah, we've got Grand Slam coming up. We've got. 
Samoa Joe challenging for the main title with his Ring of Honor TV title, having just lost to the real world champion, <laughs> quote unquote. You know, we've got no tag team d- title defense. Nope. The Ring of Honor tag team title is just going to hang around the waist of a world champion. We've got the Hung Bucks coming for the Ring of Honor trios titles. Which makes no sense to me, and I no. I could understand it if the AEW trios titles had been booked well, but they have been booked like absolute shit, pardon my language, yeah. since Revolution, basically. Since House of Black won them, they've been booked like shit. Exactly. So there's this thing where it's, it's you know, Eddie going for, you know, the Ring of Honor world title. Like, why is Eddie going for that title? Why are we not aiming higher? And it's that thing of that kind of mixed up, kind of nature of it that means like you want to see the world title still on cards because it's still probably the title with the most prestige even if it has less than it did 18 months ago uh, but the thing is with that you know yeah so you had Orange Cassidy with his run you had the best of seven leading into the elite still doing kind of big trios you had Adam Page and John Moxley at the start of the year doing TV matches saving a number in Dayton Ohio that started out I think 600 on its on sale date ended up at 4,700. It's probably the most successful Ohio show of all of them when you look at how big the catchment area was and how big that ended up. Then you had Darby Allen, who is a very underrated ticket seller, one of their best live ticket sellers they have that we never talk about, who was, you know, he had his little brief TNT run where he was doing great numbers, crowds love him. You know, the kids, the kids dress up as him, they want to see him. And... <laughs> Then all of a sudden, we got to kind of, yeah, after Revolution, and a lot of those matches stopped. And you can see this, you know, if you go on cage match and you look at the quality of matches during that period, obviously Matt Jackson got injured. Uh, Kenny wasn't really wrestling so much outside the Vikingo and the John Moxley cage match. Hangman just disappeared. You know, Danielson wasn't around, wasn't, re- or wasn't wrestling because they were, you know, wrapping him in cotton wool. As we would say here. Uh, So all of a sudden, that thing that allowed Max to be able to do what he does without having to defend that title or make that title into something that rescues numbers wasn't there. And that has kind of continued to not be there now because their focus has gone more on to the pay-per-view. And if you are going to do a monthly pay-per-view, I can absolutely understand you want to protect that attendance number. You want that to be the big things. And people that are into the kind of the original concept of AEW are going to be far more attracted to that now than they are to weekly television. So then how do you respond to that? You you know, then you've got to look at pricing. And, you know, Grand Slam, everyone's spoken what about... What the hell was going on with that? Yeah. Like, what are you doing? So What was that? So they say... So there was an interview with um, their main Live Against guy, Raphael. He went on Talk is Jericho. Yes. And, and he said... Um, so Jericho asked him, you know, how important is the on sale? And he said, and I quote... Uh, I would say it's essential. It's, it's the end all and it's the be all. Back, you know, 15, 20 years ago, the general public wholesale was when you'd have talent at the box office and what have you. Now there are so many pre-sales because data is the king. You have databases, you have email ba- databases, you harvest that data from previous sales through other partners. You can sell a lot of tickets through the pre-sale mechanism. And he says, you know, you do 60 to 60% of your sales off the gate and then 25 to 30% in the go-home period. So if you're doing 60% of your sales off the gate, and they're not at the moment, they're actually doing probably less, they're probably doing around 50 to 60, sometimes even worse. You know, they're really having to rely on that late gate and having to discount hard. 
But if you got that pricing right at the start, you wouldn't need to. <laughs> you know, if you're charging, you know, lose tickets tomorrow, uh, $249 still. I yeah. Think, uh, that still needs to drop. You know, who there's like a $500 one that's still for sale. Yeah, the, the ringside. Store. Yeah, exactly. WrestleTix had that today. If you paid $130 in 2021 to see Kenny Omega and Brian Danielson, one of the biggest matches possible in that company, and then last year you paid probably about, you know, you maybe paid slightly more, $140, $150 for the same area. I know it went up. But you got to see Brian Danielson, John Moxley, and you got to see the acclaim winner tag titles. And you really bought into that because they were huge at the time. Then you wouldn't feel short change. But if you're looking at the card now and you're paying now for the same ticket, you're paying $249 and you're looking at that card. And yes, there's, there's matches that some people are invested in on that card for sure. But it's not of the same level. So you are paying far more and getting far less. And if you see that on the on sale and you see them prices and you think, I've got to get to Long Island, well, near enough Long Island, to, I've got to get to you know, City Field. It's a lot to ask on a Wednesday night. It's a lot to add. That, that is not an area that is easily accessible at the best of times, let alone on a Wednesday at 8 p.m. It's, yeah. uh, it is a schlep. So, you know, I don't, I think for me watching this, the, the concept behind why their pricing structure changed the way it did is something that I'm still struggling to figure out what happened there. I guess I understand the importance of why some of these numbers need to be as high as they are, but I think back to, was the revolution in Orlando Revolution 22? Yes. Yeah. That I remember Meltzer screaming his head off about the secondary market and how mm-hmm. the get-in price was so insane and all of this stuff about how like they had priced the tickets too cheaply. And it almost feels to me like Tony Khan listened to that episode of Wrestling Observer Radio and was like, oh, he's right. We got up the – everything's up 300%. It's just – it's. I mean, we don't see it too much in some of the markets, but like that, those Grand Slam prices are insane, and especially when people know they're going to be discounted the closer they get. Yeah, and it's perception as well. So you want these big shows to feel big. You want to do. You want to be able to do the kind of the wide camera angle, and it's touch and go whether they will be able to do that. And a lot of it is to do with. So it's, we talked about it earlier. It's literally about mirroring up. Is there value in that? So their best show this year their biggest TV show this year, biggest TV attendance, was in LA. Cheapest ticket in LA was $39. Second ticket up was 55 and they were all upper tier. The lower tier that sold out a month after the uh, Best of Seven was announced was all $120, It didn't matter because the card felt worth it. Right. And that card, when you think about that card, and I think about that card a lot, had everybody in their right kind of locations for what they should be doing so you've got a standout match at the start you've got Paige and John Moxley you've got the finish match with the final of the best of seven with Escola de la Merte with Death Triangle and the Elite you've got Max doing a promo you've got Brian Danielson wrestling Takeshita you've got Jericho doing cunning promo you've got Britt Baker who should still be your biggest women's star in a tag match and the promotion was right. You've got people. You've got Jericho running around at PWG. You've got people running around at the NHL. Yep. People running around at the Clippers game. People doing local press and not just your normal standard wrestling podcasts. People on the LA Times. You had yep. everything covered, and therefore they ended up with the biggest walk up they've ever had in that company, the biggest number they've done this year, and over seven hundred thousand dollar gate. And yet there was no discounting because people thought the product was worth it. And the same, you went to Boston. 
right? Yep. I went to Blood and Guts. Blood and Guts. 80% up on a number from last year. That really very cold show that they ran yes. in Boston last year when he was, you know, very much bragging at Full Gear that it didn't really matter that we ran a cold tour with huge ticket prices that never got discounted and no one really wanted to see and not a great card because we saved a ton of money routing it through the Northeast like that. And that kind of says something about priorities, you know. So, yes, their priority is the TV deal. Their priority is probably saving money on them sort of things. But if you don't get that live attendance kind of thing right, you lose to cold TV. But this year, they go to Boston. And after running that cold card, they give them blood and guts. They give them the Adam Cole NJF tag. They're up 80%. They sell them tickets. You know, what do you buy your lower ticket, your lower tier ticket at, can I ask? What did we spend? I think it was about, it was $100 even for each one of us that went after tickets, fees, the whole thing. And that was a hard cam section. And we bought it after they pretty much... I don't think they had announced Blood and Guts, but we sort of knew Blood and Guts was coming. Yeah, well, we and figured it out in Toronto. Yeah, that was right. yeah. And that was... We were like, all right, we're not missing this. And then we had someone that we met up with who flew in after they announced uh, the Golden Lovers reunion. Like, flew in to see the show. So, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that, like, people will pay money for that. Exactly. People will pay money for what they think is worthwhile. And, yeah, you didn't buy that show when it got announced because, you know... After the previous shows, why would you? Why would you? And you know, you know, and everybody knew it wouldn't sell. So the difference is, if people know it's going to sell, they'll go get it. You know, Forbidden Door, Forbidden Door, the only pay per view that sold out. You know, first day of this year, everybody knew that ticket was going to be in demand. People thought it was going to be a mega and Osprey. They wanted to see it. Funny enough, that seems to be the the pay per view kind of more in line with like the traditional AEW, and that was the one where everybody travelled. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, they've done, I think to kind of, they've done four Boston shows that I've been to since 2021. And the first one, um, it was a, a reset of a, a pandemic show. So it was a little bit easier to get tickets. The second one, it was, you had to really, you know, try to get in there, but we was pretty decent. I think that was the one with FTR Bucks too. Yes. Uh, we had uh, Yuta versus Mox. Uh, it was Danielson versus Trent. It was a great card. And then they did um, one right before Full Gear 22. And I could not tell you who was on the card of that show. <laughs> I was trying to remember this earlier about looking it up. And I was like, because I was going to ask you. And I was like, no, I don't remember. Nope. I no don't clue. Remember. No. no clue. And they did it in Aganis. And there was um, a much, that's a 5,000 seat arena. And I think maybe they sold a little over three. Yeah, 3,300. Right. And then they announced the TD Garden and I thought Jesus they're gonna have a hell of a time selling this and you know they managed to make it work because they put a great card together yeah and it's it's funny that you know this year the markets that have been up so Boston was the main one Chicago for collision fine you know um and then Dynamite in Washington and in Baltimore and that's it yeah. you know and last year's not too dissimilar either so there's this belief that they've been up in markets like numerous times well last year they were up um in indianapolis they were up in denver which they hadn't been to since march 2020 uh they were up in cleveland but it's not like this huge long list it's and houston they're up in houston so this thing that you know they suddenly started kind of selling out towns or kind of started last year it's just it's not there but this year, when they've put something on, you know, even if it's just a save number, so that best of seven number, you know, they were at 5,700 in November in 2022. 
that LA card was to save that number and kind of to, to stop it from kind of falling down. Detroit, you know, you did a Mox and Kenny Omega cage match. Yeah. Does 8,000, the previous one did 12,000, but you're stopping that number from looking at five or six. So sometimes, a lot of times these matches are used for kind of saving numbers and we're not just, we're just not seeing that. Uh, but that's because you've got a, you've got behind because of the pricing. And, you know, Collision... Collision's a really difficult one to look at the numbers because Ugh. on a Saturday they should be way, way ahead. You know, you've got... And then... But the one thing that Collision maybe has a right that they maybe need to move across is they, you know, they had a much lower entry point. So you had the $20 entry point across all the shows. And you're going to need that for Collision because let's be honest, you know, Brian Danielson or CM Punk as it was previously and then 20 people that were in NXT <laughs> plus JY <laughs> is... <laughs> It's well, not a ticket selling lineup to this audience. I'm sorry. Like, no, it's a harsh, but I think you've got a good point, and I think that kind of leads into our next topic, uh, which is the collision ratings, right? Mm -hmm. And I think collision in general, um, in terms of like where we're at now, right? Because we're kind of we're, we threw the the plan out the door. Mm. <laughs> we fired the plan with cause. <laughs> we got to come up with a new plan real quick. <laughs> Although, to be honest, I probably would have had a plan, a secondary backup plan ready to go, but maybe they did. I guess, I guess maybe they did. They have Brian, Daniel, Brian Danielson going on that show. Like, oh, we'll just take him out and we'll put him in and the rating hasn't really, yeah. yeah it's the same guy. Yeah, one of them is a little bit more better behaved. Um, but yeah, um, one of the things we did want to discuss was the uh, collision rating outlook and kind of where we started, where we ended up, and where we're at now, uh, which is kind of fascinating to me because um, Aaron Rutkowski, and I appreciate this very much, Aaron, put a thing on his Twitter where he basically, after last week, had every single demo breakdown for every week of collision so far. And I could plot them on a graph because they just drop and drop and drop. And there's a couple of out, out, outlier, outliers, I guess is that the word, that I would use there, right? Like the um, July 4th show, which was the first show without a punk match. It was head to head with the first WWE pay-per-view, Money in the Bank. Um, it was a July 4th weekend, right? And that was the one that did the 0.13, mm -hmm. right? And then you had obviously the point two seven for MJF and Adam Cole, uh, which came after three straight weeks of a point two oh two one, and then after that another point one three, which was Punk versus Starks going head to head with SummerSlam, and then a point one seven, a point one seven, a point one six, and Punk got fired. <laughs> Right before college football season started, which is so crazy. Coincidentally, uh, you know, after trying to get himself onto Dynamite um, oh. and trying to pressure everybody into meetings and come on, while sending legal letters, et cetera, et cetera. He loves AEW. He's really excited to be successful. Very excited. Um, very excited. And again, we have another dip that week after that. We have a point one one, which was, again, coincidentally, Labor Day weekend, WWE pay-per-view. And then last week rebounded to a 0.15. And I think based on the tentative fast nationals, we're looking this week at possibly a one point, excuse me, a 0.15, 0.16-ish, maybe a little bit higher. Probably 0.16, yeah. yeah. So, you know, and again, the, the, the competition in the last two weeks was pretty insane too. Um, with college football going, I think Texas versus Alabama did like a mm -hmm. 2.21, which is just bonkers. So... 
you know, there is some bounce back on the ratings. And I do think there's, I don't think, perhaps my gentle optimism, but I don't know that I think that a 0 0.15, 0 0.16 against the kind of competition we've seen the last two weeks is, is a hellscape nightmare scenario. And if anything, I think it might be better than what we would have faced with the same five people on the show. A, rap a rapidly decreasing roster because eventually somebody was just, <laughs> you, were, you were eventually going to have a room full of people that were very angry. Um, but CM Punk was angry at, so anyway. Yeah, so they went from, so on average, you know, they, they started June's kind of a, a funny little number. So you start at kind of point two seven average for the month. And, you know, the de the debut was heavily promoted, promoted during the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs, during the NBA finals, all over, Dy it literally jumped every program on Dynamite. And then they fell so quickly, though. You know, they fell at a yeah. much quicker rate than Rampage. So then July, you're already down at a point two zero. And a point yeah. two zero is, you know, so before all this started, you know, there was different estimations given by different people. So Andrew Zarian, who has quite a lot of uh, TV network executive contacts, he was saying, talking about the network wanting six hundred to seven hundred k. You would then had Tony Khan saying, you know, a double nothing press conference. Oh, but they're going to do, you know. We're going to do better than the Dynamites that were on Saturdays. So the average of Dynamites on Saturdays were the free shows, the two in October against the NBA, uh, NBA, NBA and the MLB playoffs was uh, so. And then the one in June, which was the Omega and Jungle Boy. So they evened out at 0.24. And if you look at loss of homes and you want to do that, then maybe that's a 0.20 in, in this day and age. But 0.24 is you want the, you know, the crude number. And then you had you know, kind of uh, Fightful came out and said, oh, they need to rank top five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is kind of funny now. Right? And that was funny because um, it felt like it, a, a reduction of the expectations, right? It like did. That article felt like it was strategically placed to be like, and that's the thing about Collision that I did sort of feel a little bit badly about because I felt like there were three different estimates about how Collision should do. And one key, one comes from WBD, and we don't know what that number is. And two comes from Tony Khan, and he told us what that number is. And I think that number and the WBD number are different. And mm. three is from the punk fans, and that number changed. <laughs> And it was the same with live ticket sales, right? It was like, oh, right? they're going to sell like, you know, United Center's going to sell out. United Center's going to do the top show of the year. United Center, oh, 9,000 is great. Shut up. They haven't lost money on this show, even though they pay for that huge venue. And then they pay for, and they know you got 4,000 for collision. And not, yeah. So but that was one of the few instances where I did genuinely have a little empathy for CM Punk because I thought, you know, he's stuck on a Saturday night. It is a brand new show. He's got to build an audience. And he's... It's going to be difficult. And the expectations of the punk fans were so out of whack in terms of what I thought was achievable that I thought, mm, that's that sort of sucks to be in that spot. Because, But then I forgot that they will convince themselves of any. <laughs> but I don't think it was just the punk fans. I think, no. you know, the company over-expected and the network over-expected. And I think if you really dove into those numbers from last year, you could kind of see this coming. Like, I kept saying, you know, I, I got called all sorts of things, but I could see this coming. So when you're pricing, like, live tickets, and, you know, to get in the building in Toronto to see, oh, the first time CM Punk's been in Toronto for 10 years and you're pricing about 240 Canadian dollars and they don't sell. And you sell 100 tickets after he's officially announced. And people are running for excuses. And it's like, yeah, because you're overvaluing him as this sort of draw. And it was the same with TV. So, you know, and his brand's damaged. His brand is even more damaged now. 
but, but it was seriously damaged after All Out, and the people who didn't recognize that, I, I, I still struggle with that. I, I'm like, yeah. you know, the Toronto show alone should have been a giant. The number of people coming in for I'm for out of town for that show, and mm-hmm. to me that was kind of inexcusable. Like you should want to be at that second collision ever, and no. Look, and the thing that we noticed at Forbidden Door was that people, it wasn't, so everyone goes, oh, you know, the crowd reaction was great, they were all booing him. They were booing the people cheering him. They weren't booing him because they wanted to cheer him, they were booing the people cheering him, and half the audience sat on his hands. And that's exactly what you're seeing with these ratings. You know, you're not seeing, so that, you know, and the, the key rating for me will be that one where Max and Cole came in and did a .27. So you had CM Punk claiming, you know, I did the, I'm having the biggest match of my career against Samoa Joe. And that does a point two one. Yeah. And was actually outcourted by FTR and Bullet Club Gold. So, and then they come in and do a point two seven. So they show you that there's a huge part of that audience that was no interested, wasn't going to uh, watch, but would women. watch for other people. <laughs> Women, yes. Women. <laughs> like, that's, women fled this show. Every week, women dropped, women dropped, women dropped. Women had no interest in watching this program, and I, for the life of me, can't understand why. No, I'm, I can't understand why. But, like, that's a, a huge part of it. They fled back in when MJF and Cole showed up, and then they disappeared again. They're just, this is a big part of who I think, as audience members, you you can't, AEW has always been heavily impacted by sports, more so than WWE. And it, with a base of women viewers, you're going to, you're going to, they're going to buoy you at a time when maybe you're going to lose part of your audience to sports. If you drive them off with this, you know, ugh, and then where are you? You know, that's all I can do. Ugh. <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't just women as well. It was 18 to 34. And, you know, I had a conversation with somebody who works in, in TV who said, you know, but WDBD are much more interested in this being a male product, male, being an older male product. But you still got to get that ranking and you still got to hit that demo. So you need all you can get. And, you know, they've looked at other demos as well. You know, we had a whole show last week where it was like Lucha Underground. And that's because there is this effort in a lot of different kind of uh, places in TV to understand that the Latino audience is growing and it's becoming a bigger percentage of the total audience than it was previously. So you need to market more to them. So there are different groups. But yeah, 18 to 34 on women was a huge thing. And that's why, you know, one of the big things for me was how quickly it aged. So you had yeah. Collision started on uh, in June, an average age of 47.5, which is quite high anyway. So in comparison, Rampage started at 44.2 in August 2021. Rampage finally went over 50 in average age in June 2022. Collision did it in July. So (laughs) they were at 51.75 average age in July, 51.4 in August. Amusingly, both Dynamite and Rampage had a a less average age. Um, Dynamite first hit 50 in October 2022 and actually has decreased this year in age. So it's actually becoming more popular again with the younger demos. And we can see that. You look at the 18 to 34 numbers, you'll see that on a a regular basis. But yeah, so... And the thing with this is when you look at the, the kind of August numbers and where they ended up in August is, you know, you're looking an average of a 0.15 with the numbers for the three episodes without kind of uh, WWE and then your WWE pay-per-view. This year, you know, so far for September, we're at 0.13. I'll probably be at 0.14 if I do a 0.16 tomorrow. So, you know, they, they're only slightly under that. 
so college football, you're looking at a ten percent drop. So Easy. they are way, yeah. So they're under that ten percent drop at the moment. If that continues like that, then what you can easily say is, yeah, you may have lost some people with CM Punk being gone, but you've probably mitigated that by bringing people in that would not watch that product otherwise. I think that you know they they've got a tough road ahead of them, both with mm-hmm. collision with ticket sales and ratings, right? Because they started the show, they showed people what it was going to be. <laughs> people left in droves. <laughs> And now they have to rebuild the show during peak football season for them. Mm-hmm. So during the, the period of time where their audience is going to be the least interested is when they have to actually put the work in to rebuild the audience. And I think that's a difficult thing to do. That said, there's such a change in the show, even in the last couple of weeks, being connected to Dynamite and, and that sense of like stuff is occurring across all three shows – it, it, it starts to reward you a little bit for watching. Um, not so much in that if you don't, you're missing something, but more that you're picking up on little stuff. And I, I feel like that's much more of a positive and, you know, hopefully something that will start to, to bump the ratings up a little bit. And I also like that it gives them a extra time to tell some of these stories, which, quite frankly, I think they need. Yeah, they, they need to increase people's profiles. So, and the only way you're going to do that is with more time. Right. So it should free them up. And actually, yeah, if you've got something that you want to, you know, you really want to push somebody, they need to be across all three shows. So this thing, you know, look at the competition they've got coming up. So, right, we've really had UFC head-to-head. So we've had, you're going to have WWE head-to-heads, and that's going to get worse because you're getting NXT pay-per-views on a Saturday as well. Ugh. You're going to have NFL Saturday games kicking in November, you know, just then college bowl season. You've got MLB playoffs kicking in next month. You're going to have basketball back. You're going to have ice hockey back. You know, in March, you're going to hit March Madness. This competition on a Saturday will never stop. So you are going to need more than Brian Danielson. Yes. You are going to need, you know, and this comes into this trust thing, you know. So there was, I remember there was um, a quote. God, I hate using Wade Keller quotes for these things. But, hey. <laughs> um, but there was, there were just two quotes that stick in my mind. So there was one back in March, you know, before like Punk was, you know, when Punk went on his, uh, his escapade, thanks to... Uh, some interesting posts on Dave Meltzer's message board. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you dropped your microphone again. <laughs> that one was worth it. Um, <laughs> it's never not going to be funny. Thanks. Uh, history maker. Um, <laughs> but, you know, no, but when, when that happened, you know, there was a quote where he said, you know, people were just waiting to rally around Tony. You know, they, they will do yeah. absolutely everything that they can to kind of... And if that means they need to work both shows, they'll work both shows. We're not seeing that. And, you know, and this comes from, you know, some of the decision-making. They He's kind of lost that trust in that locker room in some ways. And, you know, there was a quote in September, the, the week just before Punk got fired, where Keller says, you know, this is now a locker room that wants to go out and have the best matches they can, not for the sake of AEW, but the sake of the fans that paid and the sake of the art form that they love. For the sake of being popular and having a body of work that makes them marketable if AEW ceases to exist or they just don't want to work for AEW anymore at some point. You have to reverse that. You have to reverse that and you need to get people to be willing to work on both shows, to be willing to give up their time. Not every week, you know, because the schedule is one of the advantages for AEW, but not every week. But when you've got a show like Memphis, which, you know, struggled to get to 3,100 the first time around in January 2020 and did a six, 700 pre-sale, 700 pre-sale, you know, you are going to need more than Brian Danielson. There is not, and I'm not being harsh to anybody else on that brand, but in terms of actual match ticket sellers, there isn't any, you know, and Dar- oh, Darby, he's, when he's over there. But 
there isn't really anyone else that sells tickets and you're going to need something maybe special. You're going to have to pick it up. Even so, the people that have the potential there, because I think Bullet Club Gold especially have really taken off and are probably the most over of anything that started out sure. in Collision. But they have to have opponents. Like you have to give them someone to have a feud with. And that's the part that I think, you know, I mean, we talk about the star making and all the other stuff. Like you have to give people big opponents in order for them to really make the leap in terms of, of you know, their popularity, whatever. Like... And especially as you're starting to get a brand, you have to rehabilitate a brand that is only two months old. Yeah, and the thing is, you know, AEW has this issue with momentum. They have this issue with keeping momentum. Yep. They have this issue with building momentum. So unless you are Brian Danielson, Chris Jericho, or John Moxley, the, the, the thing that you will be on TV every week, that you will have continuous feuds, that you will have continuous character development, it doesn't exist for anybody else. You know, we're seeing this a little bit with Orange Cassidy now. So he has this huge title run. He has the match with John Moxley. And now what are we doing? You know, he should be elevating up. He should be in a, either a high-profile feud or he should be going for the championship. That's it. There, yeah. there should be no other option. And instead, he's doing backstage segments and not in front of people. And, it's, you know, we talk... You can, you can do a thousand of these examples. You know, you know Wardlow... Everybody knows, build him up, had no plan, that fell to pieces. You know, Britt Baker, like, I know Brian Alvarez was going nuts about this this morning, and I agree. Like, they beat her silly. Like, you know, Becky Lynch is kept at a much higher level without the belt, but Britt Baker isn't. Britt Baker at the weekend, you know, huge should be the huge star in, in Penn State, should be out doing press each day, should be in the student, I don't know, what do you guys call student? like Student uh, union. Yeah, okay. All right, same thing. Um, yeah, should be You're out welcome. in the student. Thank you. you should be, <laughs> <laughs> she should be out in the student union doing all that thing, you know. And you know, it's funny because this would have been a Penn State show where she wouldn't have been out of work two weeks, ago, three, three weeks ago. Nope. So that, that's kind of funny to think about. Um, but yeah, so you've got to build this momentum. And so someone like Jay White, right, who is the biggest potential star on that brand by far. You know, yes. And has headlined a Tokyo Dome, has headlined Madison Square Garden, is one of the best talkers in the company, and is finally getting started to you know be able to use the microphone on AEW television. <laughs> but yeah, he he needs a big name opponent. He's the kind of guy that should be going in and potentially beating John Moxley and having that sort of program. But you can't just shocked. put him against other things. No, I was shocked they didn't do something like him versus Orange Cassidy, right? Like. Mm -hmm. That, to me, seemed like a feud that I'd be like, you, they'd already laid the seeds for it on that rampage where Jay came in, remember, randomly and had the feud with Trent or the, the match with yes, Trent. Yes, because he was originally going to face Orange in a tag at the Door. Yeah. Yes, right? And so you've got something there. That would have been something. You can move somebody like Orange to Collision for a few weeks to do that feud, you know? But I also think this is where you start getting into these problems where Tony just doesn't want to beat these guys, Right. And you, you just have to at some point. Yeah, you can't push, like, you know, 20 people at once. It doesn't no. work. So, you know, you're, we're doing Swerve Strickland and Adam Page. Phenomenal. And, yeah, you can beat Adam Page in that first one yep. if you want to. And it's not going to be a problem because his character can, you know, if given the time, can uh, kind of rebound and build it into his story. But what we have is a lot of the other guys who don't have enough depth or haven't been given enough depth. So then it feels like if you beat them, then they have nothing. Right. And that's the danger. But yeah, you, yeah, you need the big name opponents. You're going to have to bring people in. People are going to have to work different days. They're going to have to work more. And, you know, in order to do that, you're going to have to rebuild that trust with your roster. I don't care if you have to grovel. I don't care if you have to beg. 
like if you want this and you know you want them tv ratings look what you know wwe are doing with nxt so Rhea goes down there seth goes down there becky goes down there you know becky pulls a huge rating last week and that number was insane it's insane number and it shows you that you know she has been protected in some ways. She's still prominent on TV every week. She's been in this feud with Tristratus since WrestleMania. She's not in a title picture, but she's still treated as a star, and that helps them. So then when they send her to NXT to raise the NXT rating because they want the biggest TV deal they could get, it works. And that's right. about keeping people prominent and giving them momentum, even if they don't have title belts. So, but that's it. So you want if you want the biggest deal possible and you want the biggest ratings possible for Collision, and now you do not have that thing where you, know, you can only have five man and a duck because... <laughs> <laughs> the duck hasn't actively pissed anybody off this week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> I just got to know this. <laughs> duck fan <laughs> in Collision. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, who's the duck pissed off? Um, no, I don't know why we went for a duck. I don't know. It was a great... Listen, I, as a metaphor, I loved it. Please. Let's, let's go with the duck, yeah. But no, you, you don't have that problem anymore. So therefore, you know, you've got to start building these things in. And, you know, it was very kind of weird in a way to see, like, Adam Page on three shows this week. I, I yeah. can't tell you the last time, like, that happened. I just, I can't. Um, I can't even tell you the last time he was on two shows in a week. I think I'd probably pass out thinking about it. But, uh, <laughs> no. but I think that's one of those things. And I think the other thing is that, you know, freaking wrestling fans were all ridiculous, right? And it has literally been two weeks since CM Punk got fired. Two weeks, right? So you're in the process of trying to plan for Grand Slam and Wrestle Dream and change your creative and work with whatever travel plans you have and deal with people's real life because I'm sure people have stuff they planned for the weekend that they kind of can't get out of for whatever reason or maybe that, you know what I mean? So you've got to do all of that and, and now say, hey, we have everyone available to us, right? And it's our responsibility to book this and we can talk to each other and we can put things across multiple shows. And I think that we will hopefully start to see that come to fruition. And I think that can help solve a lot of the problems in terms of like the storytelling and the lack of build for feuds and giving more people time and more people like TV time. Like quite frankly, the, the, the Dark Order are people who should be getting TV time on Collision, right? Like the, there are acts, and I think this is one of the things I find the most frustrating in all of this is when people are like, oh, it's such a bloated roster. They need more time for all these guys. And then it's like, okay, we've given time to the, Oh, not those guys. Well, like who? <laughs> yeah, and the only way you're going to get these people over is to put them on TV. Right. And, you know, and there's a balance. At the moment, maybe the undercard is kind of overbalanced, is kind of, over, because of all the open challenges especially, you're seeing more of the undercard Agreed. than you are seeing of the midcard. So you do have to get some sort of balance there. But, yeah, you need to be utilising that roster on TV. You need to be kind of making people feel important who maybe haven't felt important for long periods. Yeah, but they did this with Midcard guys. You know, we did this with Orange Cassidy before that title run. We decided that he wasn't important and he could just be beat by Jay Lethal and disappear for three weeks. We did it with Darby Allen. We did it with Hangman. It's like, so... The constant, like, I get the value, and we've talked about this before, but I get the value of, of, of baby faces you can beat because they're over to a degree that they have the ability to take a loss, right? But there's a point sometimes where I'm like, 
you know, these, we talked, like, the, the build up to All In, these are your homegrown guys. This is your advantage over WWE, right? These are your guys that didn't get a shot there, that weren't going there, that, like, you know, Orange gave that promo before All Out where he said, they told me I was too skinny, they told me I was too small, they told me I was too weird. Like, that's a, that Darby Allen could have given the same promo, and I think possibly has a little bit, right? Like, go with this. <laughs> yeah. Stop. Stop trying to make Andrade happen. <laughs> no, but there's there's a huge element of that where you're like, you have these people that people are invested in. You know, in a dark order, people are invested in them. I don't care what Twitter says. I, you know, I, I've been to so many live shows and heard the reaction to them. The, people cared about them. It's not going to be that so. difficult to get people to care about them again. You know, you're having to rebuild some of these relationships with the audience. The audience might have changed somewhat. You know, and that's why when people say, oh, I'm really interested actually to see kind of the number in attendance and the number in kind of uh, pay-per-views that like Brian Danielson and Zack Sabre Jr. does because you've got two audiences now. So this audience that you started with in AEW that was really switched on to everything New Japan. Yep. That's not as large anymore. You've got this infiltration of people that are just AEW fans. And, you know, they've seen Zach on pay-per-views, but did they really think, did they think he's important enough to be in that main event match? Do they understand that as a gravitas thing? You know, if Danielson gets beat by Ricky Starks next week, does it mean anything? <laughs> so you've got all these kind of elements now. So I'm really interested to see how that one does. The two audience thing is so... that really got underlined for me at that Toronto collision because it was such a New Japan-heavy Ring of Honor taping that happened before collision, right? And even with Tanahashi coming out, um, we, excuse me, you had, um, Naito coming out with Jericho and Tanahashi coming out with Swerve. And the people in the audience who were the most vocal CM Punk fans had no clue who these guys were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you maybe even could say it's a free part audience. You know, you've got your people that came in for like punk and XWB guys, and then you've got your people that, you know, just started with AEW who may not be aware of kind of lore in New Japan or anything like Ring of Honor. And then you, you've got your, your AEW uh, audience that originated from your, your grassroots from your New Japan. So maybe it's free. Um, but there's, there's definitely an element of that where you've got to kind of service all of them. And they've always had to do that. But like, the, the voices that you hear in certain places, and especially, you know, with Twitter, are all of a certain kind of age and a certain part of the fan base. And that becomes dominant in kind of the rhetoric and a discussion and sometimes forces the hand. But we're, sometimes we see on TV, you know, people kick off about something, but then it will do a good rating. You know, the acclaimed. Everybody thought the acclaimed were going to be nothing. They didn't want to see them. Why are they in the title match with Swerving the Glory all out? But they were doing really strong TV numbers. So there was a huge part of that audience that were into that act before we even got to Grand Slam last year. And that's the difference. I think this is all going to be super interesting. And I think it kind of leads into our next topic, which is the increase in uh, pay-per-views every year, right? Um, and the plan, which now seems to be uh, going to monthly pay-per-views uh, for AEW, um, which, you know, I don't know exactly when that's going to start, but hopefully it moves to a streaming service sooner rather than later for the sake of my wallet alone. <laughs> You're telling me, yeah. <laughs> They've kind of already moved towards it, if you think about it. So this year we've had, uh, we've got seven 
AW pay-per-view yet. So we've got Revolution, we've got Double or Nothing, we've had Forbidden Door, we've had All In, we've had All Out, we've got Wrestle Dream coming up in Full Gear, that's seven, right? Yep. And they've all been on pay-per-view. They wanted to put All In on Max. In hindsight, it was probably, they would have been better off doing All Out on Max because they yeah. did a bigger pay-per-view number for All In because of the stadium show and everything. Yeah. You don't have free Ring of Honor pay-per-view. So you had Supercard of Honor in April, you had Death Before Dishonor in July, and we're going to have Final Battle in December. So that is 10 AEW presented. It might not all say AEW on it, but that's 10 AEW presented shows this year. So we're already in that transition. You know, you're only missing January and February, and it looked like this kind of all got pushed towards in March, which is when the TV started to change and we started doing less yep. kind of meaningful TV matches. So we're not that far off 12. And I've heard different things. So we've heard people talk about eight AEW pay-per-views and four Ring of Honor pay-per-views. And we've heard people talk about 12... AEW pay-per-views and I guess it depends what the model is so you've got the two models you can do the peacock model where you know if Warner Brothers give them enough money you'll have everything in one place and they're compensated for what they would lose in pay-per-views which you know for all in could be up to like you know four million dollars and then everybody pays one fee and you get that content and you've got to look at you know Max are going to launch their sports on Max service in time for March Madness next year Okay. And that may be when they look to kind of do this. And it reclassifies AEW away from entertainment where it is currently and into sports because it's more of a sports offering. But alternatively, what they could do is have kind of similar to what we have, you know, currently in the UK, where you'll have Fight Plus, where we have Fight Plus, which is AEW content. They may put that onto Max. And then similar to UFC as well in the States, you'll have ESPN Plus star model where you will then pay additionally for each pay-per-view. And, yeah, that's a, that's a lot to ask of your audience, but is there different price points? Are we going to talk about six major pay-per-views, you know, in Revolution, Double or Nothing, Forbidden Door, All In, All Out, and Full Gear, and then six pay-per-views like B-shows, same as the way WWE do with, like, Payback and Fastlane? I think, and I do think there's something to the fact that as people got pe- pe- as people got Peacock with their Comcast subscriptions, more people had access to WWE pay-per-views effectively for free, right? Mm-hmm. And I think there's something to the fact that people started watching them, watching the TV product, right? I don't think it's entirely this, but I do think that people kind of got more invested in this stuff because they saw these pay-per-views. And I don't know if that's a terrible thing necessarily for AEW's popularity, to have that kind of... If there is like a free-ish or free with ads op- availability um, from the streaming service, that's available. You know what I'm. You know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Absolutely. So if you can do that, I do think it probably increases your visibility, uh, especially on something like Sports Max, where you're going to have potentially you have ties into things like college basketball to ice hockey. I'm not sure what all of that's going to incorporate, but then you've also got, you know. That's probably stronger than going 12 pay-per-views and trying to charge, you know, if you, if, you, if you try and charge kind of $50 for each, and I know everyone says, oh, you know, people will still pay it. Yeah, we've seen we're all out. That's not always the case. So no, those no. were too close together. We had, and yes, they did a, a great combined number, but, you know, all out kind of 76,000 to 90,000. If you're doing that every month, is that worth your while on doing 12? If you're doing 140,000 every three months? Possibly, but you are risking that kind of audience burnout. I think it's a difficult one. I, I think if they can incorporate it and make it into the peacock model, that's kind of the ideal scenario. But it's all going to be about what money's what money's kind of given to them. 
I think it's, I think there's also some opportunities too, to be completely honest with you with more pay-per-views because I think some focusing on their, um, storytelling and, and speeding up the pace of their storytelling could be done. Quite frankly, I think, you know, that period of time after a pay-per-view where not a lot happens for two or three weeks, which I think we've all suffered through with AEW at times. We're like, okay, we're kind of at a holding pattern and then stuff starts to pick up and then things start to happen. You know, one of the things that I'm kind of relieved about a little bit is that we do have some storylines that seem to be culminating at full at, um, Grand Slam, but also other ones that are culminating at Wrestle Dream, which I'm kind of, I feel like that's one of those things that with more pay-per-views, you kind of have an opportunity not to try to land the planes simultaneously, right? If one program needs extra story beats, you have the time for it. And if other programs are just quicker, like in and out super fast, you can do that in a month and you're good to go. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point because we've had so many programs that have dragged out for like three months longer than they need to. And you're like, is this still going? Oh, my really? God. Like, you can think of them. And, you know, there's been clues that this is happening. So we saw, you know, Fight Plus back in uh, July basically say that the UK yep. yearly subscription was ending. We saw Ring of Honor, which is more interesting, say a similar thing on the same day. Um, in fact, like, that was uh, the same day as the Elite resigning. Yep. So I remember getting a message saying, like, oh, there's news coming. I'm thinking it was about that. And then it was like, oh, no, here's Elite. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so... There's definitely a planning place, it feels like, for this. Yeah. And it will just be what structure. But, yeah, the storytelling is probably really important. because, And, that you know, this is a shift. It's a shift in their whole kind of the makeup and the structure of the company and the structure of the TV product. And, and that's why we're probably getting some pushback at the moment is because people have been so used to it as it is and, you know, what the original detail was that you've now got all this content and now we're going to have more content with the pay-per-views and that's going to probably be where a lot of the kind of the matches that you were expecting on TV are now going to be placed. So there's going to be even more focus on that kind of pay-per-view content. And that is a lot to change. It's a lot to kind of get used to. And you still have a strong enough roster that you can do great things on TV. And you need to put everybody on TV every week. People need to see people in front of their faces at these live yes. shows. It needs to, you know, and it needs to be priced correctly. And then they also need that for ratings because you can't lose your TV ratings because that is your bread and butter no. in these days. No. And that's the thing, you know, so when everyone says about you can't have it's really hard to be a, a number two company and that sort of thing and, and this goes into the live ticket discussion that we had earlier as well well you can be a, a number two company if you can get that kind of tv revenue and they're in a really good place to kind of get that deal from Warner <coughs> brothers discovery and once that's done then you have that security and you can work on these other things and you can improve your infrastructure in live events like we've talked about, right. you know, merch as everyone's talked about, production, marketing, whatever that may be. But this is their kind of critical thing. So if the network is asking for 12 pay-per-views, then they're going to go with 12 pay-per-views. And right. that's, you know, that's sometimes difficult as a fan to kind of swallow. And I don't want to get into that thing of, oh, you know, well, we should do this because it's great for, you know, we, we, that kind of WWE 2016 lingo of everything's great because it's best for business. Right. Uh, to quote a T-shirt. I uh, don't think, like, that's the thing with the, the best for business thing. I don't think that should be my first and only thing I care about as a fan ever. But I also think that, I should understand that maybe some decisions that don't necessarily make immediate sense to me have a business reasoning behind them, right? Or that I'm in a transition period like I am right now, right? 
And I think that's a part that I, I think sometimes fans don't quite understand, like, oh, I, I didn't see a wrestler that I like for a period of time. Well, a person has a personal life that maybe you don't know something about. Like, that's the kind of stuff sometimes where it's like, I don't need to know that information. And it's okay that I don't. And, I'm, and if I trust the promotion and I trust that they're not keeping secrets from me, <laughs> then I'll give them the benefit of the doubt, right? So... And yeah, the, the word trust is just like key to everything here. Yeah. Like everything we speak about today is just the, the word is trust. And they've got to rebuild some of that. They've got to rebuild some of that. And the only way you're going to do it. So, you know, th there's always a funny interview I always see um, with Tony Khan where they ask him, there's two actually, there's one in June, one in July. And in June, they ask him, you know, what makes your promotion different from WWE? And Couldn't he answer. says, well, he, he did answer the first time. He said, oh, we've got a great roster and we've had long-term storytelling since the start. And it's like, yeah, but you blew up that long-term storytelling and you blew up people's investment and their trust. So you're going to have to earn that back. So you've got to start from scratch now with a lot of these characters, you, you know. And then you've got a great roster. Well, let's see them. Let's, right. let's see them, right? So, you know, that's what people want to see. And they want to see people develop. They want to go on that journey and invest in them. And, you know, and this thing at the moment, you know, w yeah, WWE is hot. But can you imagine, you know, you're going to have, you aren't going to have talent cuts there. You know how you yes. have to take them on? But that perception changes. You know, you're not dealing with constant bad news rhetoric from CM Punk's whatever he's doing now, um, like you have for the last year that's been hanging over them. And at some point, you know, he's probably going to go on a rant and you are going to have to let some of these guys speak. For the love of God, you know, these I guys are going to get it back out in the press. But, sorry. No, no, I think that's coming. I think that, you know, Tony Khan going into Sports Illustrated and basically saying all the stuff you liked about Collision is the stuff that I'm responsible for suggests to me that he's not going to sit back and let CM Punk take credit or or, or let false narratives exist. Um, sure. You know, you but just, that that podcast when it comes is going to be we know we're have a special three hour episode and <laughs> <laughs> break down every lie, every yeah. word, every word, every lie. Um, no, look, you know, you've got to try and change that perception and. If you haven't, at the moment, it's like, you, oh, I'm a challenge, we're a challenger brand, but you changed the recipe, and now you don't really know what your identity is. And you've got to find that identity again. Right. And whatever that's got to be, and you've got to elevate people and maintain them and kind of give people reasons to invest again, because otherwise they lose faith. And it's exactly the reason why you became a company in the first place, because people did exactly the same in WWE throughout yep. the 2010s. And it's very funny to me that the three people he pushes most now in Moxley, Danielson and Jericho were all the ones that are undervalued by WWE that kind of people got upset about. And now we use them and we don't, and we do the similar things to other people. You know, and there's people you're paying huge money to. You've just paid out huge money to certain people. Use them. Use them. Invest in them. People want to see them. It's what makes AEW different. You know, so yeah, let's do that. And, you know, yeah, if you're going to do 12 pay per views, let's do strong storytelling throughout. Let's have exciting challenges. Let's have surprises. You can do all that. Just yep. don't lean so heavily on the kind of, oh, Here's all our stars. Because that doesn't matter to me. Like, I don't care who you bring in. If you bring in Edge, that's great. But put him in something meaningful. Do something that helps to elevate someone else. The same way Christian has. Yes. You know? Christian has become one of the most, I think, better used of the WWE veterans. And I don't mean, like, the Moxley Jericho type WWE veterans. I mean, like, the second wave, I guess I would describe. Um <clears throat> 
he's just a ridiculous amount of fun. Like he's just, and he seems like he's having a ridiculous amount of fun and it's fun to watch someone enjoy themselves. Right. Like that's all you could ask for. Like whether it's edge, whether it's, you know, Mercedes Monet, whether it's Dolph Ziggler, like bring me dudes having a good time. That's all I got. Yeah, and look, you know, you haven't got, you're not going to have this kind of winning mentality. You may be right. never going to be able to recreate the the kind of atmosphere for when AEW started, the hope, the kind of feeling that you were part of something. Maybe you're never going to be able to create it, but you can make things fun again. Yes. And it's not been fun for some time. And I think no. sometimes some of the dynamites that we had in August kind of surprised us because they were so much fun. The anniversary show was like the most fun I've had in, God, I, I don't even know how long. And, you know, as much as people hate, like, the MJF and Cole stuff, it was fun. Maybe, yeah. you know, you can argue about it being for the main belt. You can argue about them messing up, not giving them the tag belts, and I'll argue that now forever, I think. But it was fun, and this product was fun, and that's what made it different at the start. It was an enjoyable live experience. It was enjoyable to watch on TV. It gave it something that Super Serious WWE at that point didn't. And now, right. you know, they're, un they're undercutting so many things that, you know, AW had at the start. You know, they have all their sing-alongs now, you know, on their live kind of interaction, you've got the horrible LA night yeah thing everywhere. Like, sick of that thing. <laughs> but like, you know, they've undercut so many of the kind of the things that AEW had advantages with. But I don't know if they still have that much, you know, so you've got to go back to, yeah, pick your identity, make it fun, bring these people in, but don't use them. Don't, you know, like Soraya being the champion now and completely overriding it. We never see Britt Baker anymore unless she's getting beaten and beaten and beaten and beaten. That's not it. That doesn't help. That's not, that's making you look kind of more TNA level. Don't do that. Like, so yeah, I just, I want him to find their identity again. And I think it's going to be difficult. I think he has to, you know, rebuild his trust with his roster, with his audience. And then also he really kind of has to depict their kind of route and look at, you know, this is the landscape we have now. You know, when they, when they sign this TV deal, that's, you know, that's critical. This is what the company, you know, this is what the network wants from us. But this is how my envisionment is and here's how we're going to grow. And you're not going to grow by picking up, you know, bringing CM Punk back for the 50th time. You're not going to no. grow by picking up, you know, people like Edge and then putting them over half your roster or still focusing on Moxley, Danielson and, you know, Jericho. As great as they are, there needs to be some progression and some turnover to yeah. put these other guys on top. You know, even in WWE, you know, we're not looking at the same people in, as we, on top as we were in 2012. And there's reason no. for that. No. So you've got to reward people in that way. Uh, and this does kind of lead us into our final topic for episode one. Um, <laughs> I wanted to say a new hope, but I think that's a bit. <laughs> oh, are we Star Wars or Star Trek on this podcast? Oh. I don't know. I, I would say Star Trek just for general nerdery purposes, but oh, okay. I'm more of a Star Trek than a Star Wars girl anyway. <laughs> anyway, our final topic for uh, today is the uh, Jade Cargill. Um, I don't want to say departure, imminent departure, I guess. Is that what we're going to call she... it? But basically, yeah, Jade Cargill is, is, appears to be done with AEW and headed to WWE. This is, uh, we're taping this on September 19th, by the way, Monday. So um, if any news breaks between now and when we upload it. But um, she's expected at WWE imminently. They're preparing creative for her. Uh, lots of different stories on what was going on. It seems as though the main line is that they were, she and AEW were far apart on money. Um, 
but I think there's some other factors involved in this too that we can talk about. <laughs> yeah, so look, this this one has like a complete overreaction to me. I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but like people have gone insane over this. It seems like it's a lot of like hysteria in a way that I'm kind of like, I'm okay with this. <laughs> and if yeah. not just okay with it, I think it's a good thing. Like, I think that this is what wrestlers should be doing. And this is why you want a healthy, a healthy business with multiple options. Like not everyone is going to be successful in AEW. Not everyone is going to feel like the AEW and the way that it's put together is going to work for them. There are wrestlers who are just going to feel more comfortable in a WWE system. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. And having the freedom to say, hey, you know, I'd like to do something different with my creative. I'd like to do something different with my career. I feel like I've kind of done everything I can here. And these guys are offering me more money. Thank you so much. I'm going to leave. And by all accounts is leaving on good terms. It seems as though she's well liked in AEW. She's she came back and put uh, any questions about uh, Chris Statlander. She put her over clean, had no issue doing it, supposedly got giant hugs backstage and a standing ovation. So there doesn't seem to be any unhappiness there. So I don't, I guess I don't understand why this would be a problem. This seems like the exact perfect way to leave a company. Yeah. Look, she, yeah, she did everything the right way. She's not spoke ill of them. You know, she spoke well, they're a part of money, you know, and that says something, you know, there's a few things on this. So there are people that say that Khan held an option. There are people that say that Jade held an option, which would be probably the first talent I think I've ever heard of that would have held an option. But we know that money wasn't, you know, like she, as much as like they're a part of money, she's not desperate for money. You no. can't lowball her. So no. because of, you know, of her current, her status anyway. So yeah, she's done the right thing. And they could have, you know, extended her contract. You know, she's just been off for a period of time. They've chosen not to, whether that's a good faith play or, you know, if he wanted to pay her, he could have paid her. He's paid Roosh. He paid, the four elite guys, the same yep. amount of money, same amount of same benefits, huge, huge contracts, all four of them. So he has, when he wants to, he will pay for that. But, you know, if you don't think that she is going to benefit you going forward for that amount of money and you think that it's not going to make a huge difference to your business, then there's no point. Like, why would you hold somebody there that you're not going to use up to their kind of potential or you don't feel that you can improve or they can't improve to it? It just makes no, absolutely no sense. So, yeah, it's absolutely the right decision. Um, you know, there's, I think what it is, is that there's a perception that, you know, and this comes straight off the back of punk going and people talking about, oh, AEW's unstable. Da, 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 da. So there's a perception that, you know, it's another win for WWE when this is literally the second wrestler in four years. And I don't count Pillman. I'm no, I, until the guy debuts, right? Yeah, and because he was I think released. So, right. Well, his, his contract right? They chose not to re-sign him, yeah. Sure, yeah, so they made that decision. So I don't count that as someone who, you know, was offered two contracts and then decided to go elsewhere. Right. Um, but yeah, it's a, this is only the second person to go to WWE or to choose to go to WWE. And we know that Cody, yeah, might have been a complicated situation. And maybe, you know, Khan regrets that in terms of because of the impact that Cody's had and how much impact that's had on AEW's business, especially in live events and everything else. And perception, hugely about perception. But yeah. I, I don't think if it wasn't for the punk departure, I don't think that this would have had the kind of the big impact. And for WWE, you know, it's maybe a bit of a win because they didn't get the elite. Yeah. And maybe because of, you know, Kenny being kind of intermittent on, on and off TV at the moment and 
hang around and need a rebuilding and the Bucks not really been involved in too much. Maybe it doesn't feel like that win of keeping the elite is being kind of magnified in the way it should be. But that may change in the next few months. You know, Roosh, exactly the same. He may become more prominent. You know, AEW got Jay White. We don't even talk about it. No. And maybe they didn't make enough of it. And they didn't. But, you know, so this year when you look at, you know, AEW versus WWE in terms of talent acquisitions. Yeah, okay, WWE picked up Dragon Lee at the start of the year. But AEW have picked up people of higher value consistently. Whereas Jade, we don't know. We don't know. So the thing is, it's like when you develop somebody like that in AEW, they just don't have the time. You know, especially women's wrestlers. Because women's wrestlers are picked up so early now. You know, they're not spending five years on the indies interacting with people on their way up and on their way down getting in that knowledge they're there one two years and they're brought straight in for someone like her she's just brought in off you know com- from a completely different industry they don't have a performance center like that they're not able to get someone out there training seven days a week they don't have a house style is that something they can invest in the future yes are they, do they have infrastructure now no. no so therefore she can't work longer than kind of the squash matches or she might be able to do short matches but she's never going to be able to be in that position in AEW where she's leading a division which sounds really hilarious when i'm saying this when saray is the champion <laughs> but you know <laughs> i laughed at myself there. um but you have to look at it and think yeah our infrastructure is not built for her to do more than what she is currently doing. And if she wants kind of to go elsewhere and she has ambitions to, you know, go to Hollywood or anything like that, we don't have them connections either. But in terms of value to their business, they're not losing anything, I don't think. And no. she's rep by Endeavor. She's rep by Endeavor. So, That's you know, a it's... big piece of this that I feel like you can't, can't be understated, you know, in terms of what Endeavor have promised her WWE can do to raise her profile, to get her acting roles, which is something WWE, excuse me, AEW could not help her with. Like, they just don't have the infrastructure for that, like you said. And, you know... Working with Brian Danielson was clearly something she really appreciated and enjoyed. But at the end of the day, she's got to get in the ring and do matches to improve as a wrestler. And I, like you said, that's a huge problem for their women wrestlers, especially. You know, they just don't get the reps. And if I have to hear another, oh, she should go to stardom, like, I. I it, <laughs> she's not going to stardom. Seriously. <laughs> For the same is true for all of these younger women wrestlers. Like, sure, if they want to go to stardom, then AEW should support them. But at the end of the day, like, you're asking somebody to move to a foreign country for a period of time. For why? Right? Like They've I already wouldn't... signed that big contract. Or right. It may have known a big contract, but they've already signed with a big company. It's not like you do that to get yourself noticed. People go to stardom to kind of get their profile up. Exactly. And yes, go for work, but that's why they go there. People go to New Japan. You know, New Japan is like a siphon for talent now. You know, we don't talk about this. So everyone's talking about, oh, you know, WWE are taking AEW's talent. AEW are raiding New Japan oh. on a constant basis now. And probably will, you know, there's a lot of rumors amongst New Japan sources about who's going in January. Right. And Osprey's probably the most obvious one, but there's others too. Yes. So there's this constant raiding of the systems. So it's not like that's how, but that's how the infrastructure works. Right. And you can't look at it and think, okay. You know, like, it's all going one way. When it really isn't. No. But it's all about perception. And that's where this has kind of turned into something else. When actually it just doesn't need to be. There's no guarantee she'll be successful in that system. They have people like Tiffany Stratton who are probably far more kind of set to become stars in that system already. So, but if she wants to try there, then it's not going to affect your business, then just do it, you know? Like, 
Does it hurt anybody? She was doing quarter hour readings at the start. Not so much now. You know, you look at the Rampage reading from Friday and yeah, you just think, nothing. yeah, it did a point zero nine, point zero nine. So that and just there was a lot of Yeah, and there was a lot of talk about that episode too. You know, people were saying exactly. it was a good episode, she's leaving, the whole thing, and still people didn't turn in. They didn't tune in, right? So, you know, and let's be honest. Right? This, is, this, is, this is a harsh thing to say, but... You know, it may be it's different when they bring Mercedes in and they do something like that. But the way that their TV is kind of monetized, you know, the women are never going to be in the position in AEW that they are in WWE. No. They're never going to get the same amount of opportunity as they are in WWE. They're not going to get the same amount of protection as someone like Becky Lynch does or the same profile. And that doesn't mean that everybody succeeds there. Succeeds there. Everybody wants to be there. Hence why Mercedes Monet is doing what she's doing. Right. But You've also got that coming in, you know? So you are going to pick up Mercedes once she's out of her boot. Clearly. So, and she's going to be a much bigger impact. You're a huge player in 18 to 34. Huge player in females as well. Very rare that a female wrestler has a huge female following. So, you know, and all the demos that she can kind of help in, as well as, you know, she'll help in the older male demos as well. So you naturally have a replacement straight away. And that's a good reason why you can just say, yeah, okay, you go try elsewhere. We can bring that person in probably similar level in terms of, uh, you know, how much use we can get out of her. But actually, she's probably going to drive bigger numbers. And that makes business sense. I think that's the – I think for what you talked about before in terms of, like, the overreaction to this is what happens so often with this – any the slightest – you know, the slightest piece of news that could potentially be negative to AEW and people go, have just complete and total reactions to it that seem completely out of proportion for what it actually is. And it's kind of hard sometimes to be like, do I care about this? <laughs> I don't actually think this is a big deal. <laughs> like, I do think it's good for Jade. Like, you know, she should be going somewhere. That, like, I don't know. This to me is like, it's workers' rights at its most basic. People should have plenty of options in terms of where they should be employed, and they should have people bidding for their services if they are truly one of the best wrestlers available to work in North America. And if that's the case for her, and you could argue about her in-ring skill, but I think she's clearly someone with charisma, with, like, style, with, like, a, a, a sense of character. Like, good for her. And doing it in such a way that she goes out on a, a positive note means you never say never. She comes back in three years. You have no idea. I still think we'll see Cody again. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you do things the right way. You do business the right way. You lose on the way out. You know, and if the elite had gone, they would have done exactly the same thing. Kenny was losing all year. Yep. You know, Hangman and the Bucks weren't, were kind of, you look at the match in Toronto, they were, you know, pushing Eddie and Moxley to the forefront. It's that sort of thing. You do things the right way. So then, yeah, yep. if you do want to come back, you've still got that relationship. You never know what somebody's going to become at the end of the day. And she does have presence. And she does have that kind of, she does have a bit of an aura. And, yes. you know, WWE will be much better at kind of bringing that out. And that's not to say AEW aren't good at things because they have their own strengths and there may be people in WWE now and their women's division who may think, you know what, I could take the risk, I could go there, I could do some more there than what I'm doing here. But right. that's the beauty of it. That's the best thing about having, you know, and you can say, oh, you know, you've got a definite number two and a number one. But we've got two people that can offer people good money and good opportunities to be on national television, international television, stadium events. Yep. We've, you know, and you don't have to move to Japan, which is huge if you've got a family. Yep. Um, you know, and even then, you know, Japan is much less of an option now because of the devaluation of the yen. 
yes and their business kind of outlook coming out of covid so it really is only the two options but at least they are two great options things that we didn't have 10 20 years ago you know there is right. no if i can't work out here I, I can't make it anywhere and that mentality that people must stay where they are and they must stay where they are to succeed has never worked in wrestling and doesn't work in a lot of other industries you know, you may succeed by staying loyal and staying where you are, but you also might succeed by making that jump, just like Cody has. Right. You know, Cody's a far bigger star now than he was two years ago, by far. Good for her for taking the risk on herself, for trying something different, for saying, hey, this isn't exactly what I want it to be. I'm going to do something a little bit, you know what I mean? I'm going to give it a mm -hmm. shot, right? And in such a way where no one's going to be mad at me. So uh, that to me is just the bottom line on this one. I don't quite get some of the reaction to it, but... You gotta support wrestlers. You gotta support wrestlers. You know, at yes. the end of the day, companies are regardless companies, of where they work. Exactly, companies come and go, but you know, and it's it's great that we have that second kind of tier in the U.S. now. But you know, support people. It's the same. You wouldn't tr treat anybody different if they look for a different job if they weren't happy where they were in normal life. You know, why do we treat wrestlers any different? Yeah, I feel like support wrestlers is a great thing to add end on our. our <laughs> inaugural outing of this as it were workers rights to close yeah <laughs> <laughs> touche and that seems like a good point to wrap here for today hope you've enjoyed the first episode of the trish and sarah wrestling podcast i've been trish i've been sarah and we'll be back with you in uh, two weeks time so as this is our first episode Please feel free to share it with your friends. Rate us on podcast apps such as Apple. You can tell that I don't use Apple, guys, right? Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, like and subscribe. Also, I want a big thank you to Leah from Tunnel Talk, who is our producer. Please check them out on any of your podcast apps. Fantastic show that that is best looking to character in wrestling that you can find. And that'll be it. We'll see you guys in two weeks' time. See you in two weeks. <laughs>